Well, if you'd open your Bibles to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51 is our key text today as we continue with our Who's Your One sermon series. You received last week uh, in your bulletin, and if you weren't here last week or didn't get one, a bookmark that tells you scriptures you can read and uh, a commitment card where you might write your one. And there's even some prayer guides left out at the information counter as well that lead you through a personal devotional every day, just brief one, to help encourage you to share your gospel, the gospel with someone in your life who's not a believer in Jesus or at least is unchurched as far as you know. When it comes to invitations, I think it depends some, doesn't it, on who the invitation comes from and what the invitation is for. If I were to get an official envelope from a governing body that said I had to show up for jury duty, I mean, what would you all say, adults? (sighs) I mean, you think of everything else you can be doing and you know that it's your civic duty and you know it's the right thing to do and you know we need impartial jurors and you hope that based on your Christian values you could do that, but you're also thinking of all the other things you've got to do in life, at work and with family, rather than sit at a courthouse for hours on end. However, if I got an invitation in the mail from one of you, and it was like some nice stationery, and I opened it up and it was a nice card or something, an invitation to a party, I'd probably go, yeah, all right. So who the invitation is from and what the invitation is for matters. It's my simple point. As we consider inviting people we know to consider Jesus through a relationship with us and even inviting them to church if it's appropriate. You've got your scripture memory verse for the month up there that reminds us of our responsibility. And it's Romans 1.16. Let's say it together. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Romans 1.16 We have a responsibility to share the gospel, the good news of God's love for everyone with everyone. And though we might have concepts of going around the world and of being an international missionary, and God may call you to do that, and that will be amazing and will support you. Most of us, it's with the people we know that are already in our life. The type of people that we might invite to a party at our house. The type of people that we might respond favorably to if they invited us to a party at their house. It's through relationships. And that is who your one may be. One of those people you know. Now, I asked you already to open your Bibles to John chapter 1. If you're able to stand with me in the reading of God's Word, would you do that as we read the end of John chapter 1, verses 43 through the end of the chapter in verse 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. 
Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are so very moved as we consider what happened in this passage of Scripture today. And that Jesus calls one to follow him and that one invites another to come and see. We think about our life and the people we know. And we think about the difference you make in our life and the difference you could make in their life, too. When we see the brokenness in their life and we think, you know, it might not be a solution, but there's help. So, God, we ask that you enable us to be encouraged and strengthened as we're challenged today. That we, too, might share the gospel, share an invitation with our one or anyone you put in our life that needs it. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you. You could be seated. Your outline, first question, asks you, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? We talk about being Christ followers here at Southview, not just regular Christians. And so when we say a Christ follower, somebody help me out here, how do we normally define it here? What is that person? What are words we use to describe a Christ follower? Other words. What? A disciple. Thank you, Miss Kay. Someone else? Otherish. A Christ follower should be otherish. Thank you, Ryan. Someone else? Saved. Yeah, they're saved. Absolutely. Someone else? What's the most common word we use for a Christ follower? It is a... Christian, yeah, yeah. You've also heard me use the word apprentice, someone who learns from the master, like a mentor and a protege. It means to follow Christ. So let's look at our scripture here. The next day, and that follows what happened just before there in verse 35 through 42. We'll cover that in two weeks, matter of fact. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and he found Philip. Well, Philip had already come to Jesus And then he says to him, follow me. Very simple instructions. Follow me. And it just tells you briefly, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? The first answer on your outline, it means that I go where he goes, right? If you're following somebody, you go where he goes. I know I've mentioned it before here from the pulpit. Um, I'll never forget the picture for me of being a child with my grandfather at the farm that he was a superintendent of. My grandfather passed away just before I turned seven. But to that point in my life, and even after that, I idolized my grandfather. He had this larger-than-life personality, and everybody loved him. And, you know, he got to work on the farm and do cool stuff, and I grew up in suburbia in Fort Worth, Texas. One year, Grandpa had bought me some boots so I could have boots like him. 
And uh, because he always had a big old thing, a red man in his back pocket, he got me a pack of bubble gum. He'd have his chaw of red man and be, and I'd have my chaw of too much bubble gum. And well, you can't really spit with bubble gum. But then whatever my grandpa did, I did. He rode in the tractor with your girlfriend and boyfriend, right? But grandpa would pull me over tight to him. He didn't wear a seatbelt on the farm. You just sat next to grandpa so he could do this if he needed to, right? And I rode with my grandpa. But then we'd get out and go check on the cattle. And you know how up closer to the gate where the cattle hang out a little bit more, there's some, you know, on the ground. And I can remember my grandpa stepping over those things. But me as a kid, I had to do like this, right? I'm trying to step in every place my grandpa would step because I didn't want to step on what else was in the ground. I was following my grandpa carefully, step by step, because I loved him but also because I saw what could end up on my boots that my grandpa bought me and I didn't want to mess up. Isn't that an analogy for us about following Jesus? That we love Jesus because of who he is for us, but also we know that he's guiding us step by step to live a life to keep us from being you know, bothered by any of the stuff that's in this life. And we follow him and we pay attention to him. We go where he goes. Well, that's the next one. It follows the first one. I said that on purpose. I do what he does, right? If I'm following Jesus, I do what he does. Well, what does Jesus do? Uh, You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to tell you about that, don't you? And you have a sermon series we've been doing for years around here at Southview that happens multiple times throughout the year called Following Jesus. But you don't need to wait on me. You can read the Gospels any day and you can see what Jesus does and how he does it. You're in John right now. I want to ask you to turn over to Colossians. We've got a couple uh, verses in Colossians I want to read to you. So go through Acts and Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So head back that way to the right in your Bible. In Colossians chapter 3, I love this passage of Scripture because it gives us some common sense advice on how to live. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. No matter what you do, you're doing it in his name. In other words, according to his character, according to his purpose, like he would do it. And what else does it add there at the end of verse 17? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Because you know that God has placed you in this place, in your life, with your circumstances, even though they may be hurtful, even though they may have caused you, uh, caused you to be broken at the moment, in order that you might grow to be more like Jesus. So you should give thanks for that. Skip on down to verse 23. It says the same thing slightly differently. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. You're working for God in the way that you live in doing what you do in going where you go following Jesus. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It reminds us that what we're doing as we follow Jesus and as we're doing what Jesus does, that we do have a reward for that. And then it says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. We're serving him by following him, going where he goes, doing what he does, uh, does living as Jesus. 
That also means we speak how he speaks. Look back up at verse 16 there. Colossians 3 verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. The way we live our life unto Jesus as we serve him should be marked by difference. People should be able to look at our life and see that we are followers of Jesus. So back to our key text in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 43. Jesus says to Philip, follow me. Philip follows Jesus. But look at what happens in verse 45 and 46. Philip found Nathanael and he told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's quite specific of who he is, not just any Jesus. There might have been more than one Jesus in Nazareth, even though it was a small town and that he was Joseph's son. That's how he delineates him. And then, of course, Nathanael comes back with the Nazareth. Can anything good come out from there? Well, Nathanael asked, but you have to love the line that Philip delivers Next, come and see. It asks us that question. And that question that we ask there is, how do I invite others to follow Jesus? How do I invite others to follow Jesus? What you see happening here, very simply, is Philip saying to Nathaniel, bro, dude, you just need to come and see for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Yes, he's a guy named Jesus from Nazareth. And yes, he's the son of Joseph. Those things you can't dispute. But that he is the Christ, the son of God, that he is the Messiah, the one we've been praying about, thinking about, looking forward to. It's him, man. Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? No, don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't care about your objection or your concern. Come and see for yourself. You know, the amazing thing about this is, why was it so easy for Philip to invite Nathaniel to come and see? Because Philip had set his mind to follow Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, he was inviting other people to get behind him and follow Jesus as well. He made the decision first to follow, and when he decided to follow, it became natural to ask others to come see as well. You and I have that same opportunity as followers of Jesus. If we're following, are we inviting How do I invite others to follow Jesus? Well, your first answer there would be that I go to others. I go to others. Uh, It doesn't explain much of the detail here, where they were at and what it was happening or anything like that. But you get the idea that they were together. We know there wasn't electronic communication back then. You know, he couldn't text him or email him or couldn't even use a phone call. He had to be face to face. And even though I know there are all those electronic means we can communicate with today, I think an invitation to follow Jesus is still best face-to-face, is it not? With a person in your life, that invitation is best face-to-face. Because as experts tell us, more than 90% of communication is nonverbal. It's not just what you say verbally, it's how you say it vocally, and your manner, your body when you do it. And that conversation is going to be so much easier when you can go to them and have a conversation face-to-face. What do we learn there? If we're going to invite somebody to consider Jesus, if we're going to invite somebody to share a meal with us or do anything else, it's best if it comes face to face. The second answer there is I ask them to come and see. Just like Philip. 
You ask him to come and see. You know, uh, you, let's say you invite somebody for a meal. You invite them to a meal at your house. You invite them out to eat or something like that. And if you're a friend, they're not going to be like, hey, what do you want to talk to me about? Because you're a friend, right? If they don't know you too well, they'll be a little bit like this. I'm not so sure. I want to go out to eat with this guy. And it's weird that they're inviting me over to their house. You know, that's kind of the way we are. Most folks don't take it. But if you have a personal relationship with them, and even if you do have that personal relationship with them, you tell them, hey, man, you know, I want to have you over to my house, just talk about life. But I also want to tell you about Jesus in my life and ask you to consider Jesus in your life. Well, then they might be like, oh, no, I'm checking out. You never know. But it's your decision to make. Are you going to tell them the reason you want to have a conversation with them or give them a slip or something like that? You invite people to come and see at church. An easy way is something like trunk or treat. We got the cards out there on the table, right? And you're invited, of course, to sign up to host a trunk. Or as Pastor David said, we need trunks and treats. So we need candy and trunks. But there's space for other volunteers as well. If you're like, oh, I'm not creative. I can't host a trunk. There's a whole wall full of things you can sign up to do this, that, or the other. And of course, you can always bring candy, yes. But most importantly, to pray. If we have 600 people come through our parking lot... How many of those do you hope might come to check out our church the following Sunday morning? Should we pray about that? Yeah, we should. How many of them, when they get their packet of goodies from Southview and it has a gospel track, will trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord right there with a gospel track that points them to the Bible? Should we pray about that? Sure, we should. But you, you inviting people that you know, kids on your child's sports team, Kid to kid, inviting one another. Parent to parent, hey, and say, hey, we've got this thing. Now, I know not everybody has uh, children that might like trunk or treat in your life. But for those of us that do, we've got that. There's a way to invite people to church. Of course, you can invite them any Sunday as well. But then another thing we want to do when we ask people to come and see is actually discuss the gospel with them. Tell them our story. Tell them how God has made a difference in our life and invite them to consider how God might make a difference in their life. Tell the story of Jesus in your life. You've got a third question on your outline there. And that's, how does Jesus change a person? You've got this interaction in verse 47 through 51 where Jesus saw Nathanael approaching. He said, here's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. Now, commentators have some, hey, it means this, it means that. Um, That's not the point of what we're going after here. But he says, how do you know me, Nathanael asked. And Jesus had a vision of him sitting under the fig tree. He tells him that. Nathaniel immediately sees this as supernatural and immediately declares that Jesus is the Son of God there. You see that in verse 49? You're the king of Israel. Jesus tells him, you believe because I said this about you, but you're going to see other things. Just wait and see, bucko. Here it comes, man. The first point there is that Jesus sees who I am. Jesus knows who you are. For a lot of people, that's the reason they don't want to talk about Jesus. That's the reason they don't want to come to church, right? They know that they are a sinner. They know that they are guilty. They feel less than worthy. And the very fact that you would bring something up like Jesus or church and shine a little light on their life, they don't want to talk about it. But that is where the relationship comes in, the love that you have for them and the love that you show to them, particularly in a face-to-face conversation where they can see that it's not you being judgmental and saying, hey, man, you need to go to church. But it's you expressing your love for them and doing it in a gracious and kind way. 
Jesus sees who we are and he loves us, not in spite of us, but because of us. Remember what the Bible said of Jesus in John 2, 24, that he knew what was in a man. Our passage of scripture from last week that Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus is God in flesh, knows everything about us, and he loves us just the same. Amen. I don't know about you. I'm thankful for that. The next point there on your outline, when we answer this question, how does Jesus change a person, is that Jesus demands a response. Jesus demands a response. You can't say, uh, I'm not going to decide. Well, that's a decision. Uh, you've decided not to follow Jesus. He demands a response. And even though he doesn't say it in a demanding way of Nathaniel in this passage of Scripture, Nathaniel does respond. Nathaniel was either going to follow Jesus with Philip or Nathaniel, maybe you had some spies, but thanks, but no, I'm out of here. But Philip and Nathaniel decided to follow Jesus, each for their own reasons, and they decided to see what would come next. And then that part where Jesus says, you're going to see greater things, that's your third answer, is that Jesus continues to amaze. Jesus continues to amaze. What did he say? You shall see greater things than that, end of verse 50, now verse 51. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is prophesying what is to come in their life and what Nathaniel and Philip would see of Jesus to know that he is God's Son in the flesh. But what about in your life? Are these true of you? That you can say, yes, I'm a changed person. And yes, it was because Jesus knew I was sinful and he loved me and saved me. And yes, it's because he demanded a response and I did follow him. And yes, I've seen him um, do amazing things in my life. Think about what you know from God's word. And we know from God's word and most of us take it as truth. Some of us are skeptical and that's okay. Keep reading. Keep asking, keep praying. And we see it as true and we see God does amazing things in here. Then we hear about how God does amazing things in the life of other people we know or things we read. But then I pray that you have testimony in your life where God has done amazing things. And maybe you might not be there right now. Maybe it might be that you've wandered away a little bit. You're not reading your Bible every day. You're not praying like you used to. And some of the old sinfulness and habits and flesh have come back on you. And you feel guilty and shame and the devil's trying to beat you up and keep you from the Bible and keep you from prayer. But you remember what your life was like. And you remember there was a time when you read the Bible. There was a time when you had joy. There was a time when you had perspective. And you felt closer to God because you were closer to God. God's calling you back to that right now. He wants to continue to amaze you like he did even then. He wants to change you if you will let him as you have followed him. So we've got to ask ourselves, when it comes to who Jesus is and the example we see of Philip inviting Nathaniel, then Nathaniel saying, man, I'm following you. As simple as it's stated here in front of us today, and we know that we should invite others to Jesus, we've got a question. What keeps me from inviting others to Jesus? What is it that keeps me from inviting others to Jesus? I, I, I threw out a couple Simple ones here, and I've got them somewhat in order, and you'll follow along with me, right? 
When we asked our church family in a survey that we did churchwide about a year and a half ago in our worship service about why you didn't invite people to Jesus, I hate to say that those of us that reviewed it, most of them were like, um, it's either because we're fearful or we just got a bunch of excuses. There wasn't really any good, solid reasons. There was a few that said, well, I don't like this about our church or I don't like this about our worship service. And okay, yeah, maybe that's a reasonable reason. But the others were like, "Mm, come on, you can do better than that. And I'm just trying to be honest with you. I'm not beating up on you because I don't do as well as I should, even as your pastor, inviting people to consider Jesus and inviting people to worship with us so that they might experience what God does here. But there's a few things we might do that keeps us from inviting others to Jesus. The first is, I don't believe in hell. It may be that you literally do not believe that there is eternal hell, eternal punishment for those that are not followers of Jesus. And therefore, you've like checked out like, oh, if there's not a hell, then I don't need to tell people about Jesus. I don't need to invite people to church. And I want to say, um, have you read the Bible? I mean, I'm not trying to be mean or make fun of you or anything. But if you believe any part of the Bible is true, I think that means you need to believe that all the Bible is true. And the Bible is quite clear that there is eternal judgment and that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And sure, you can say, oh, it's full of fables or it doesn't make sense or you can make up all your reasons about the Bible. But have you honestly considered it and seen its unity and seen how archaeology has never disproved the Bible but always proved it and proved it again and again and again and all the extra biblical sources as well? There is a hell. You might not believe that, and maybe we need to talk about that. The second reason you might not invite others to Jesus is that you're spiritually dead. Yeah, I said it. I could have said you're spiritually struggling, you're spiritually sick, you're spiritually, you know, separated from God because of your sin. All those things could be true, but it might just be honest to say you're spiritually dead. It may be that you had never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. Therefore, in lieu of eternity in a personal relationship with God, through Jesus, you are dead in your sins. And therefore, inviting others to church means nothing to you because you're kind of wondering, why am I here every Sunday? Or why am I here at all? You're spiritually dead. A third reason might be that I have more fear of people than God. Maybe you are a believer in Jesus, but you're more afraid of what people will think if you talk about Jesus, if you invite them to consider him through a meal at your house or uh, interpersonal conversation, or certainly if you invite them to church. What really is going on there is pride. You're worried more about what other people think about you than what God thinks about you. I would simply say we need to let our love for God and our love for others overcome our pride and stop being fearful of others. Show more holy fear of God. The fourth reason might be I'm too busy. Um, So what would we say about this? If you're too busy to talk to people about Jesus, you're too busy. If you're too busy to, in the course of your life, say, hey, why don't you come to church with me or why don't you come to this special event with me, then you're too busy. Have you considered that you may need to say no to a few things? Have you considered that you may need to have your kids say no to a few things? You are their parent. Maybe you need to plan better. Maybe you need to prioritize better. But also, let me just point out that I'm too busy is really a lie when we're talking about things like this. 
Because you're saying to me that you never have a conversation with anybody about nothing. That was terrible grammar, I know, right? But if you talk to anybody about anything, you've proven the fact that you have the ability to talk to anybody about Jesus. If you ever eat, do you all eat? If you eat, okay, let's do it again. If you ever eat with someone else, you've proven the fact that you can invite somebody to share a meal with you to talk about Jesus. So we know you eat. We know you eat with other people. Just add Jesus, right? You have conversations. Just add Jesus. I'm too busy is really a lame excuse because we're just asking you to bring Jesus into the things you're already doing, which may lead to the fifth one. I don't have a plan. Some of us are like, hey, man, I'm just going to go with the flow. And that's great if you're that sort of person. The other person is like, I need to know what I'm going to say. I need to know how I'm going to say it. I need to know when I'm going to say it. We love you, too. We're a little worried about you sometimes, but we love you. We all fit together in this church and in this life. And so maybe that means that because you do care about inviting other people to consider a personal relationship with Jesus, that you need to be thoughtful about how you would do that. Maybe you need to read a book. Maybe you need to make yourself some list. Maybe you need to study. Maybe you need to go to a class. We can help you with any of those things if you ask. Then you can have a plan for how you would share Jesus with somebody else because you love them and you love God. The next step might be that I haven't committed myself. You'd say, you know, I have a plan. And I, 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 took the, I read a book once or, you know, I read this blog post. I memorized this gospel presentation. Um, and I know that I should do these things in inviting other people to consider Jesus. Yet I just don't. Well, you need to commit. How are you going to commit? You need to make an act of your will, a decision that I'm going to fill in the blank. Talk to this friend about Jesus. I'm going to fill in the blank. Invite this friend to my house to have a conversation that includes Jesus. I'm going to fill in the blank. Have an ongoing conversation with my friend about Jesus. I'm going to fill in the blank. Um, study the Bible with my friend who's not yet a believer in Jesus because they have questions. Even if you don't know the answer. Remember, if you don't know the answer, that's great. Because then you get to say, hey, let me find out the answer. And you get to have a second conversation with your friends. But you need to commit yourself to following through with others. That's where something like this, we didn't ask you to turn these in, but this is you committing yourself to do this, that who is your one, you're writing it down. And every day you're checking off where you've read and prayed, you're committing yourself. The last one may be true as well. My church doesn't love others. It may be that you feel like our church doesn't do a good enough job loving others. And you may legitimately feel if you brought a friend of yours to our church that we wouldn't love them. If that's the case, we need to hear from you. If that's the case, we need to repent. But remember, you are a part of we, right? That we're all here together and we make up the we. And how are you going to make your friend feel? And how are you going to invite your friend in? And I'm not saying that the rest of us don't have a responsibility to be gracious and kind and loving and accepting to whoever you bring with you through our doors. But we need to be sure that we love each other, no matter what. So friends, I ask us to consider these things, not because I want to beat us up, but because I want us to honestly remember that God calls us to Himself, and He calls us to call others to Himself. Remember what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is power. In Philippians 4.13, that I can do 
all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Romans 8, 37, that in all these things I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. That when you have God's spirit and God's power and you can do all these things, that includes talking to your friends about Jesus. That includes inviting your friends to church. But it all starts with you in scripture and you in prayer asking God to strengthen and empower you and give you the wisdom to have conversations like this with your friends. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the example of Philip and we're thankful that Nathaniel followed. But we see in our own life how we need to be different. How we need to be a Philip and invite our friends. Invite our family. Invite whoever you put in front of us to consider you and your son Jesus. So God, our Father, we come before you this morning and we pray asking you to forgive us where we've fallen short. We also ask that you would guard our hearts against the devil using false guilt to keep us from sharing now. That in the humility and brokenness of our hearts, we would be encouraged to say yes. I will talk to others about Jesus. Yes, I will invite them to consider him, to consider church. God, empower us now with your spirit. And we certainly pray for anyone here today who needs to trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. We know that God loves us and that God will forgive us no matter who we are and no matter what we've done. And I pray, Father, that we'd make that decision today if we're in that place. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us and sing?